Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Around the Corner. Uh, I'm Ben Wager, and with me today, uh, my co-host, Don Gibson, and we're still looking at those movies from 65 to 75. Today, we're going to look at two movies from uh, 70 to 71, or no, I'm sorry, 71 to 70. Wait, what is it, Don? What are we looking at? <laughs> They're both from 71. They are from 71, and our, it was 70 to 71, right? Is that what we were doing? Yeah, and, and But we chose films both from 71. So. Yes, we did. We did. That's true. But we're saving the 72s, right? Oh, I'm ready for 72. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So this, these are both from 71. Uh, they, they are very different movies. And we're going to start off the first movie that we're going to talk about is called Straw Dogs. So uh, we're gonna, Don uh, selected this movie. So we're going to let him kind of bring in the intro to it. Go ahead, Don. Well, you know, Straw Dogs is a interesting film. You know, I remember when I first saw it and I was, I was shocked by it. And I think that is the purpose of the film. So Sam Peckinpah, the director of the film, he did The Wild Bunch uh, in 68, 69. And it had, you know, it was just crazy violence and shootings through the whole thing. And, and so he was pretty, you know, much involved in the evolution of this new American cinema. I don't know how much of a voice he really had. He really wanted to push the controversial aspects of making films. So he wanted to shock. That's what his thing was. And, you know, America, which had been, you know, uh, part of the Hayes Code for many years, the Hayes Code came up on the uh, early 30s. And there's very strict demands in the Hayes Code with, you know, sexuality and violence and and this film was just like, you know what? We are gonna challenge every possible code we can. And that is what this film is about. I think the film is highly problematic in many ways, um, but it's really inter interesting because of why it's doing that. Um, so uh, Peckinpah, as I said, is a really controversial director because he just, you know, he, and he was part of the whole new wave of Hollywood, like let's challenge the, you know, the studio heads and all that kind of thing. Uh, so Straw Dogs is, is a story with, and, and they, they got Dustin Hoffman to be the lead. And uh, it's about a guy that uh, moves back to his wife's small village in England. And just to work on his math thesis, uh, we, we never know what that is, but he's a very quiet, you know, uh, guy that does not con communicate very well. And, um, from the opening scene, the opening scene is them going into town and getting uh, some food for the house. Their house is a country house just outside the town. And uh, his girlfriend is uh, walking around, you know, they're, they're getting their things and she's walking around uh, without a bra on and it's very clearly focused on her sexuality. And that aspect of her is, is uh, a focus, you know, you know, to a fault to the, to the, for the film, but it's, they're challenging at the same time, as I said, this is a, this is an evolution of where film is going in, in, in American cinema. And he's just like, what can I get away with? And so he promotes her this way. And then we have this town that's got this, it's totally repressed town. All they do is go to the pub and they get drunk and, and there's all these repressed things going on. And, and, Dustin Hoffman, his character, all he wants to do is write his thesis. And she, he's coming back to her hometown and, and she had a relationship with a guy that was there and he's jealous and angry about it. 
And that feeling through the, from the beginning right to the end is, is maintained and um, uh, actually put on the forefront. And so like in the middle of the film is probably the most controversial scene where she gets raped by her ex-boyfriend and you know, it's- And some other guy. It's the other guy. And some other guy. It's a, it's not- Oh yeah, you're right. And some other guy. <laughs> and he, he's complicit for that second rape as well. And the, the rape is, you know, pretty graphic and she's, you know, whatever she's, you know, sexually presented and that's how we accept her. Uh, but uh, she says no the whole way through and he insists and he rapes her. You know, and- I, I feel like there's parts of it where there's this weird warped consensual mixed thing coming from her different parts of that of that scene and and it's you know it's disturbing on a lot of levels that scene and and uh you know from what i read about it I, you know it, it, it had to be kind of dialed way down apparently it was a lot more intense to make it through all the 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 ratings system i think but you know there is there is a real mixed vibe in in regards to this kind of, kind of like consensual rape uh, border that constantly is, is pushed through that whole scene and it, it actually increases the disturbing nature of the scene I think and, and very much so and we have to remember also so we you know so the director Peckinpah presents in a certain way and so when you know there's a scene so the the, the, the old boyfriend and his buddies are, are uh, fixing up the garage and then she's going upstairs to have a bath this is before the rape scene and she goes upstairs and she's having a bath and he says make sure you close the the blinds the, the the curtains and she purposely doesn't and then she stands in the window uh you know naked with your breasts she's lingering and, she's lingering that's for sure oh she lingers and she looks yeah, and yeah. so we're kind of like it's kind of like the the whole old horror genre um expectations where you know like she kind of gets what she deserves because she does this but at the same time, I mean, all she's doing is standing in her hallway, taking her top off, going to her having a bath, but there's a lingering look. And so that justifies in Peckinpah or some people's eyes, you know, she kind of gets what she deserves. And one thing we have to remember at the time when this film was made, this is the same year that Clockwork Orange was made and it has the same kind of graphic rape sexuality that's going on and it's like, violating the codes and it's new and exciting and everyone's kind of amazed by it. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's, it's very uncomfortable. You watch Straw Dogs now and you're thinking, what is this film about? Which, when you watch Clockwork Orange now, you're like, you know, it's, it, it, there's many great things in that film as well, but there's this graphic sexuality that we're being affronted with and we have to accept it. And that's what Peckinpah was going for. And the evolution of the film is eventually um, the townspeople get totally trashed and they, they, they come to the house and there's another girl involved and she gets killed and there's a local town guy that has a history of being a molester, a rapist, and he's in the house and they, they're just assaulting the house and you know throwing stones at it and, and, and trying to storm it. And uh, Dustin Hoffman, who plays this really you know, calm, reserve character finally comes to this primal, you know, the, the guy that he really is. 
and he figures all these things out of how to you know destroy them he throws you know hot oil on them and it's hot, whiskey. hot whiskey yeah it's true it's booze and yeah. he also has uh, the bear trap that's given in the beginning of the film and another guy is putting in a you know his, his head's putting a bear trap and it's, it's and he, you know crappy. the interesting thing about that bear trap is as soon as you see it at the beginning of the movie you're like okay they're going to use this bear trap you know it's like you're, you're just no. with the, you know it's it's like a total like oh boy they're putting the bear trap in the house you know oh where do you want it oh just put it over and you're just like oh this thing's playing this thing yeah, let's hang it over the fireplace yeah 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 let's hang yeah. over this beautiful antique bear yeah. trap and so, like, getting back to what I said originally, like, I don't think Straw Dogs is a great film. I think it's, uh, um, you know, highly problematic, but I think it's really interesting for the time it was made. And, you know, as I said, Dustin Hoffman, who was a star of, you know, a graduate, and, and he was a known actor in, in America, and he agreed to do this film, and it was about challenging what was accepted, accepted in cinema. And... He, you know, it's it's graphic and it's violent, and in the end, there's this weird resolution. And you know, he actually really kind of dislikes his wife in the end because of her sexuality, and he never knows that she gets raped. But he's like, you don't know what's proper and right. And meanwhile, this guy that you know has kind of been cruel and abusive to his wife, not in the violent rape way, but similarly, um, treats her terribly in the end. Um, and then it ends with this odd resolution. And so honestly, like, I would say it's a very uncomfortable film to watch. Uh, I wouldn't say, as I said, it's not a, a film that has, there's some great shots in it, but overall it's kind of just kind of just uncomfortable. And it's sort of, you know, a prequel to some uh, many horrors. They remade the film um, in the States uh, like six, seven years ago, but they took all the- they took out all the raw kind of feeling of what the film was really about and they just made it about you know rich city kid comes back to a small town and and they just like him and and it's, it just turns into a like a free-for-all shooting of violence and which straw dogs has but it's not about you know this uncomfortable we don't like what's going on and that's what peck and paw was after and um he you know as I said, when I first watched it, I was shocked and you know uncomfortable through the whole film. And essentially, that's what the film's about. It's about making you shocked and uncomfortable. And you know, I um, I well. watching the film. I I I will say, you know, just to sum up my feelings, I thought it was a miss. I didn't think it was a great film. I didn't think um, it. And you know, in in in, I I was uncomfortable, but I wasn't shocked. I mean, it was. You know, I think now looking at that kind of level of violence, and it, we're not impacted by it maybe as the moviegoers were back then. That was much more of a raw experience. I mean, it was uncomfortable to watch. I just didn't feel, I thought it was overly simplistic. I didn't feel like the characters were well-developed, to be honest with you at all. I, you know, I, I didn't think, I, I, first of all, I didn't find Dustin Hoffman to be that believable in the character when he metamorphosizes into the superhero guy suddenly i just it wasn't believable that that personality would be able to change like that so that you know i felt like the the female role uh was you know sex kitten mistrusted you know village girl who, who you know got out but now that she's back in all the behavior falls back into this other thing it just it didn't i just you know it wasn't it didn't work for me on that level you know the stupid 
slow monster, you know, guy that uh, they have to watch around the girls, the kids, and the and the and the and the girls, you know, the the, the dumb, stupid monster. It was kind of like a mice and men kind of vibe. Uh, and I just felt there was a whole there was a whole bunch of pieces to this puzzle, and it just never quite gelled. It didn't fit. I didn't think it was a great piece of work. I don't I don't think it carries uh, to this time well at all. I mean, and and looking at the film at that time, you know, I, I got through it. But I, even the ending, I felt was disappointed. I thought the last lines were stupid, and you know, I just didn't think that. Um, it just felt like the, you know what it reminded me, it was like if I was, it was like opening the, the this whole genre of like crappy sub-pornographic horror movies. Like I Spit on Your Grave, kind of, it just kind of had that that kind of like, oh, here, we're going to move into this area of, of filming, which I've never been impressed with anyway. And it just kind of had that, um, you know, we're, we're going to push this and this, we're going to sell the violence, we're going to sell the sex, and, and we don't really need the, the, the rest of this to work because people want this right now. And so, and, and I was kind of surprised that, like I said, that Dustin even took this project on. But then again, I don't think of this as an American film. I really thought of it as a, a British film. That was but it's a British film, I agree. That was released in the US and, and I, do, I just don't, you know, I think Dustin brought the, you know, he helped with the crossover, you know, into, you know, it opened up, oh, Dustin Hoffman's in it, let's go see it. You know, but really I, it's, it's very much a British film and the behaviors and everything are very much culturally focused on British culture. And now that we're more global and international, especially people like you and I, you know, we understood that, that but there's a lot of people probably back in that, that time that, you know, maybe that didn't translate as clearly, you know, because we don't, you know, at that time, we just didn't have that lifestyle as much anymore. Yeah. Um, and because we're much more of a nuclear, you know, society where, you know, suburbs were, you know, two, you know, families and spend time and the pub life isn't outside of the cities, that pub experience has kind of gone away. So I didn't, I think it didn't, probably doesn't translate well. And it, it, to me, it just, you know, it was, I watched it, I got through it, but I, there, there was nothing in it that overly impressed me. There was nothing that, that said I would recommend this movie necessarily in this timeline. And, it, you know, I think Peck and Paw probably you know, with the success of the Wild Bunch, he kind of just twisted that a little bit and, and made this film. But I really think that is his, you know, Wild Bunch much more of an edgier, better experience. Well, I think this is missed for him. A couple of things I'd point out is that David Ware, he's the guy that plays the, you know, the uh, uh, the molester that the town accepts, and we, you know, he did something we don't know what he did, and the he's brute. like it's the slow, stupid brute. What's that? He's like the slow, stupid brute. Yeah, and so he was, he was, he, after that he played the villain in everything. He was in Time After Time, which is a film that I really quite liked, which is about Jack the Ripper traveling in time and he's Jack the Ripper and he played the evil guy in Tron. He played the evil guy in um, um, a, a number of other films. And he was all, so he's got that sort of brooding terror look. And here he's that, but he's, He's not that. He's he's sort of developing that point of view, and then Susan George, who was the, who played the wife of Dustin Hoffman, she was typecast after that as the yeah. you know the nice person but slutty, and she was always she, she was always she couldn't do anything but that after this film. And she actually she meant she mentions in some personal uh, experiences that you know it was the Dustin Hoffman as always very intense on set. 
And Peckinpah was difficult to work with. She felt like Peckinpah was not a pleasant, was not a pleasant experience being directed by Peckinpah. He was a crazy drunk drug addict is what he was. And he made some, I mean, he made crazy films and they were like, let's feed, let's feed him some money. So uh, he made Convoy, which was one of my favorite films when I was a kid with Christopher Christopherson, Chris Christopherson. And it was all about a bunch of trucks right. stopping highways and the trucker craze. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it actually holds up very well, is the truth, but I think it's actually very interesting in terms of the time it was made, because it was made because the time allowed it to be made and people were fascinated because the rules were now being stripped away. And I think it leads really well into the film that you're going to talk about, Harold and Maude. It's the same damn thing. Like They made that film because they were allowed to make it, the difference is, of course, is Harold and Maude holds up incredibly well, you know, 50 years later, uh, because it was ahead of its time. It was it was shocking at the time, and it still is shocking. There's aspects that are shocking. Right, absolutely. In fact, let's uh, let's introduce that film now. Um, so I picked Harold and Maude, and this is a film, uh, a very successful film um, that over time. And, uh, you know, critically acclaimed, it was, it's a, the, the movie is, the storyline of the movie is, is a little twisted. It's a, you know, it's about a, a young man who's entering into adulthood and he has a very dark kind of vibe to him. He's, you know, he's very, he's very, comes from an extremely wealthy family. His mother is, um, you know, um, uh, an institution of the community and they live in mansions and, and servants and cars. And you know he is he's he's not happy in this lifestyle at all, and he's pushing the envelope. He's constantly uh, going through extravagant faking of his death in front of his mother. And so the 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 movie and the, the movie starts with him uh, going through an elaborate ritual of hanging himself, and his mother, who's seen so many of these deaths, just kind of ignores it as he's hanging in the in the, the library, uh, you know. And she's like just talking about the events for the day and who's coming to dinner and. You know, and he's it obviously does not affect her at all. So you know, and he goes through various stages of trying to really freak her out with these fake deaths, and and that's a big part of the movie because he's just fascinated with death. In fact, he, you know, in his pastime, he goes to funerals as not knowing who died or anything, and he just kind of and goes through those experiences, and and that's very much a big part of the movie. And his mother, who you know, just thinks he's disturbed, he needs to talk to him. A manly figure to help him out is is very you know traditional about how she views, and she tries dating services and and having him talk to his uncle who's a military general and and they're quite you know the characters that are in, introduced through this are, are quite entertaining. But the center of the of the movie is really about a relationship that he develops when he goes to the funerals and he meets this this very eccentric older woman, uh, you know seventy she's seventy nine when they meet. And uh, she is very much a, uh, a a lover of life. I mean, she's the, she's the polar opposite of him. Like, if you looked at the Chinese yin yang symbol, they would the, the, these two characters meet. They mesh perfectly into that yin yang, the dark side with a little bit of light in the inside, and the and the light side with a core of darkness. You know, and and he plays the dark side with the light that is is going to grow out of it, and she plays the light side but with this dark this dark core that's going to actually emerge and so it's a very kind of interesting counterbalance because um their relationship kind of blossoms through this experience of going to funerals and they get to know each other and they become close friends and she opens his eyes to a lot of what 
the potential of enjoying life is about. And he's learning from her. And then eventually that that friendship turns into this very uncomfortable, intimate relationship between this. Well, and and also, as you said, their, their, their relationship blossoms over going to funerals. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, also the fact that you have an old woman and a, a young boy or a young man as a relationship, those two things, I think people, you know, contrary to straw dogs, straw dogs are just, you know, violence and, and craziness. This was like, people were like, I don't understand how you can make a film like this. And, you know? and at the time, the interesting thing is at the time, this probably, if the roles had been reversed and it was like an 80 year old man and an 18 year old girl, they would have been like, oh, this is not, this is not, this is unusual, but I can accept this. You know, I can watch this. But the way they did it, where they flipped those two roles, it, it the uncomfortable level of that part, like, oh my God, is he getting like romantically attached to this woman? Yeah. You know? The idea of a sexual relationship between a 20 year old guy and a 75 year old woman uh, was way too much for the oh, audience. Yes, yeah. it's still even today. You watch that, and, you, and there's oh. there's those couple of scenes where they never have a graphic. Obviously, there's no graphic scenes of this, but there's 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 strong implications that these things just happen. You know, the smoking in the bed afterwards, and all. You know, those type of it's there, and you're just still even now. You're just like, whoa. You know, it just you, you know, it, it's still as much as you want to be open-minded about these things, it's, it's still, it's still right there in, in your face. And that part of the movie is definitely, um, you know, it, it brings that kind of uncomfortable feeling about, even though, you know, they have a good, it's a good healthy relationship in the sense that the way she's really opening up his eyes to life and bringing totally. him out of this dark place. And, uh, it, but, you know, but the irony of it is she's heading into a dark place by choice because she has announced and hinted to him many times that he doesn't understand completely that on her 80th birthday, she's going to end her life. She's going to choose that. That's it. She's going to end her life. And that's days away from their, their initial, I mean, the whole movie is about a week, probably a total of a week in, in actual time that progresses through the whole movie. Yeah. And a, and a couple of things also about the film that I love are, the, the, the soundtrack is oh, yeah. Cat Stevens, amazing. It's like this absolutely gorgeous soundtrack, which is so you know comforting, and and the, and the shot. So Hal Ashby's the director, and he went on to make Shampoo and Being There and Coming Home, and he was really quite a remarkable uh, American director for the time. And he allows these films to kind of evolve and just become what they are, um, and. Some of the shots they use with that soundtrack are just beautiful. The cat, the music is all Cat Stevens. Some of it original music, and it's woven into the storyline so perfectly. I mean, it just, uh, you know, it's it reminded me. You know, um, I think that um, Mike Nichols did that very well with The Graduate and, and uh, uh, Simon Garfunkel, and you know, it has that. You can see the impact of a of a movie like The Graduate, how they use the Simon and Garfunkel music, and then you see this movie and how Cat Stevens, and, and you really, you start to see how a, a soundtrack can really empower the movie much more. You know, it's not just about the background music and, and, the, and the, you know, the setups as they're transitioning through different scenes, but this, this music from this, this commercially well-known artist, it, it really impacts and strengthens the, the film, that synergy it, it, you know, it, it's become a formula now that we see more and more, but those movies, The Graduate and Harold and Maude and, 
and uh, to some extent, I think um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, you know, they they started to incorporate commercialization of the music. Raindropsky falling on my head. Raindropsky falling on my head. And so, you know, but I believe that when I think of, of the pinnacle of that in, those, in that timeline, I think Harold and Maude really just hit a home run with the Cat Stevens soundtrack, just phenomenally. Yeah. Just there are some shots. There's one shot I remember specifically with them. It's so his car, you know, this guy has got this weird, you know, fascination with death and everything. His car is a hearse and he's driving this car on this long, beautiful shot. Um, you know, we're just and, and Marin headlands. I think those are the Marin headlands. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, beautiful. And then uh, Trouble, the Cat Stevens song is because she just died and he's he's just kind of dealing with it and driving. And, and that song is playing and it's just it's just woven so well it's just such a powerful scene and and then the, the panoramic views of the of the headlands it's all shot in, in the bay area in northern california and it's really they it's they do an it's an amazing job i mean that movie has such a level of sophistication in how everything is woven in the storylines the, the yeah. cinematography the depth of the characters even it, it's just you know it's 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 major league. It's a major league movie that was extremely and, and the guy that wrote it, uh, Colin Higgins. Yeah, he, he went on to he wrote Silver Street, which is one of my favorites. It's got uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Gene Wilder, Gene Wilder in it, and 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 Richard uh, Pryor, Richard Pryor, and it's a you know it's a fun comedy and everything. He did later, um, so th so he wasn't allowed to direct this film because uh, the, he didn't have the the background, and so they got. Um, Hal Ashby to do it, um, and so he then he wrote Silver Streak, and it, it did quite well as well. And then he did he directed uh, Foul Play, and then later Nine to Five, and these are like you know uh, films that we look back on now uh, that are definitive for the time. Um, and he had a real awareness of social issues that were highly relevant. Foul Play, not so much, because Foul Play is a fun movie with Chip. Yeah, that's a great movie, though. That's really, that's a fun know, movie. We could do a whole Definitely thing. a fun movie. Maybe I was still four, nine to five, but uh, it's, uh, he, he, he was aware of what was, and he was writing stuff that people weren't really writing. And, you know, sadly he died and he was uh, gay and he died of almost, of, uh, <laughs> of AIDS in the mid eighties, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And so he had a lot of really interesting ideas and he wasn't allowed to do, Harold and Maude was his whole conception. And uh, he, you know, and Hal Ashby was, he actually asked permission from Higgins to do it because he felt kind of guilty about taking the project over from him. You know, and, and you know, looking at some of the other things about that movie, um, you know, Bud Court. Uh, who at the time was, you know, he'd had a few, he had, he had some movies on, you know, he was in MASH, the film MASH. He was in MASH. Um, uh, but, you know, the way that he played the, you know, he just played that, that part very well, just because he, you know, he doesn't have a huge range in this movie in, in regards to kind of that opening up and, and being tightly wound up. But, you know, there's a couple of scenes where, you know, they break that fourth wall and he's looking right into the camera when some things happen and you know that was very edgy to kind of that's a difficult scene to play off you know that trying to get that to work and and they were able to do it i thought successfully there was kind of there's these little points where he kind of silently looks at the camera you know does these little things and it, it it's interesting because you know you don't see that in a in a mainstream film of this nature you know that is so critically acclaimed but you know he they definitely did experiment on on breaking some of the the, the traditions 
uh, obviously with the storyline and uh, the, but the incorporation of those characters in how they were able to kind of it, it almost has an Asian flavor to it. You know, she's like, oh, you have to breathe then the fire in the morning, you know, and she's like, <sighs> and, you know, and it's a very kind of, it's like what Chinese people do in the morning when they're waking up. So there was definitely kind of a, and then that yin-yang relationship and the balance between the two characters, you know, very, um, very uh, based on Eastern philosophies, in my opinion. So, the, you know, I think there were some influences in the writer in, in understanding, you know, Eastern, philosophy and Eastern ways of things happening. So overall, you know, I would definitely say that, you know, that movie's major league and Straw Dogs was not. <laughs> well, you know what, Ben, I agree with you. I, I chose Straw Dogs not because it's a film that holds up incredibly well. I chose it because it's emblematic of the time that, you know, as I said, the Hayes Code owned cinema and, you know, it's, I mean, America really still struggles with censorship because their censorship revolves primarily around uh, sexuality. It's not around violence. And it's interesting, like, you know, Straw Dogs was like violating and breaking all these rules. And so did Harold and Maude. And Harold and Maude, honestly, you know, in terms of watching a film today, you know, 50 years later, we watch Straw Dogs now, we're like, kind of whatever. It's a little bit controversial, a little bit uncomfortable. But Harold and Maude is still basically as uncomfortable now as it was then because Absolutely. of Absolutely. the concepts and because they're challenging how, you know, the, as you said, you know, if it was an 80 year old man and an 18 year old girl, we'd be like, eh, okay. And this is like, no way we're going to accept this. This is way society. off the radar. This is way off the radar. All right. Well, Don, I think we uh, covered these movies very well. Um, you know, overall, I, I you know, I got through the Straw Dogs movie, but, you know, Harold Maude to me is a gem. And, you know, it's something that I'm, I still watch every three to four years, probably. And I, you know, every time I watch it, I see something new. So I think we picked some interesting movies and then, you know, it, it would, it's a good comparison. But next time, I think we're going to focus on 1972, right? It's getting its own, it's not even a range. It's just 1972 because it's such a strong year in film. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Around the Corner and stay tuned for our next episode where we talk about films from 1972.